turns out, you know, running a photography small business is not really a whole lot different from running any other business. I mean, every business has its nuances for sure, but the general principles and influence and what have you, I mean, it, it's almost like a certain sort of physics. And so, or, you know, psychology would probably be more accurate, but the, you know, I start working with people and I, I guess this is kind of the thought that I have. And I always use Steve Jobs as the example for this because, and one very specific conversation that he had, that he had, but, um, he was talking with Scully and he, he says, he asked Scully like at, at this pivotal point when he's trying to get Scully to come on board and work with Apple. He's like, do you want to do you want to do something that changes the world or do you just want to sell sugar water? Now, the funny thing about that story, which is kind of this legendary entrepreneurial story, is that it frames the, the, the world in the sense of having either purpose or no purpose. But I think it kind of masks the real truth because if you look at Steve Jobs, I mean, he was the ultimate salesman and yet he was also very, very purpose driven. Like, he he led all of the, all of his decisions with this greater sense of like purpose and i remember when i read his bio his idea of like a computer being a bicycle for the mind mind and this idea of computers being kind of an extension of a person it carried through into everything he did and all the decisions he made but the very at the very same time a huge huge part of his success didn't just come from that it came from the fact that he sold like nobody's business And that's right from the middle of today's episode. Hey, glad to be back. If you haven't met before, it's me, Karthik. And on this show, I try and make a sincere attempt at presenting conversations that are insightful and thought-provoking. And I really hope they nudge you to think in a direction that you've never been so far. I know that for some of my listeners, this is the first episode that they're listening to. If this is the first episode that you are listening to, welcome home. I must remind you, that this episode is a deep dive interview with a copywriter, business coach, and a photographer. And I spent over an hour interviewing him and poured over his writings and even more to squeeze out copywriting and business tips that is sure to up your game as an entrepreneur and creative, no matter at what stage your business is. I put all of these tips and lessons that I learned into a PDF and you can get a copy of it right now by heading over to designyourthinking.com slash s2e31. That's season two, episode 31. In last week's episode, I had another photographer and entrepreneur, Walid Azami, on the show. He was smuggled into the United States from Afghanistan and turned that chance to an opportunity of lifetime by starting his career working with Madonna and company. Ever since, He's chanced upon photography and went on to work with entertainment celebrities like Ricky Martin, Mariah Carey, Jennifer Lopez, Usher, and so many others. In that episode, Walid shares the roller coaster journey that he's had and a lot of advice for photographers and entrepreneurs in general. If you haven't listened to it, please make sure you do. You can just head over to designyourthinking.com slash S2E30. That's season two, episode 30, right after you finish listening to this episode. 
And I'm super excited with today's episode because of yet another amazing guest, Spencer Lum. Like I said earlier, Spencer's a photographer, copywriter, and business coach. He's a serial entrepreneur and the founder of Extra Bold, a blog dedicated to helping entrepreneurs build meaningful businesses with rabid fans by learning to write addictive content. He really has a way with words. And in this episode, I really try to get deeper into how we can use words to impact readers and the whole concept of influence. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming Spencer Lum. From the DYT Studios, it's the Design Your Thinking podcast, a show about creators, entrepreneurs, and non-conformists, and the stories behind the decisions they made that completely changed the future of their lives and businesses. And now your host, Karthik. Before we kind of get rolling, tell us something about yourself that most people don't know. That is so tricky. Most people don't know I love cooking. In fact, actually, the job I dreamt of having mm-hmm. for a long time was eventually to be like a chef or cook or whatever. I don't know what the official title is, wow. but I just wanted to have this small little restaurant and it would just sit there. And um and that was, and, and I don't know, I pictured it being far and away, and that was supposed to be kind of like my retirement plan. Like I would get to this point in midlife and that would be it. <laughs> Absolutely. I've heard uh, quite a few people talking about cooking, which is an interesting topic in itself. So, you know, there is obviously more to what you do uh, than what I kind of tried to summarize early on. So can you introduce yourself so my listeners know exactly who you are and what you do, Spencer. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I, I wear a lot of hats. I, right. as you mentioned, I, I am a photographer and I have a photography business, but I also am like a fine art photographer. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I do day to day that primarily supports my family and my life is I write and specifically I blog. And, uh, and through that, I coach people, I teach mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's what pays the bills. And, uh, uh, you know, I make it sound like it's all about having the job, but it, it's a job I really love having because uh, it lets me it lets me work with creatives, entrepreneurs. Mm. I mean, all sorts of people who are trying to make big changes in their life and mm. try to figure out, like, well, how do you build a business that is going to reach out to people and get people to be like super fans, but still not sell out mm. and not kind of go down that path where suddenly you're back to having a job again? <laughs> which is usually what you're trying to escape. Right. So anyway, that, that would be my, I, I don't know if that's a nutshell description, but <clears throat> that's so, kind of what I do. It's interesting that you describe yourself that way because, you know, when I looked up your profile on, on LinkedIn, for instance, uh, you know, things showed a different picture in the way it started. You started off doing studies in, in you did a degree in law in Los Angeles, right? Yes. And it, it looks like you, you kind of started in a, totally different uh, line. What's the story behind that? I went to law school and here's the big choice. Mm. So there I am. I mean, literally, (laughs) I'm sitting around in this aqua colored neon 
it's about maybe well actually i know exactly what it is it's my it's my college graduation and i'm just bawling mm-hmm. like a little baby like rolled up and my mom is in the car and she's yelling at me mm-hmm. and um and what had happened was really i had made this decision about maybe six months prior to that actually more like a year and mm-hmm. i said okay i know i want to be a photographer that's my passion that's the thing i want to do right but my parents had this expectation that I would go to law school. And I said, if I can get myself to, well, if I can make things work, if I can find a way to kind of turn photography into a job that supports right. me, I'm not going to go to law school. And that was a huge thing for me because there was so much pressure because I felt like my parents had so much expectation mm-hmm. that even just telling them that it, it took me forever before I even told them that. Mm-hmm. But what had happened was I spent the whole year and I well, really, I just busted my ass trying to get work and trying to make it work. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't, I could not manage to find a way to get a job that would pay the bills. So finally, I just kind of, I, I just said, okay, I guess I'm going to law school. And so mm-hmm. there I am on graduation and, you know, by that point, you kind of know where things are going and what have you. But um, right. I think it was that was when it kind of hit me. It's I realized it's like, OK, this is this is what I'm doing. and This yeah. is where I'm going. Yeah. And I'm apparently not going to become a photographer. Although I turned out to be pretty wrong about that. Right. But life has a way. But, uh, that, that, you know, that was that was kind of what got me into law school. So I went. I did it. I actually, I figured, you know, you're in law school, so you don't mm. sit around and say, okay, let me get out. Uh, you have to put, after you put three years into it, you're like, okay, yeah. let me go find a job doing this. Yeah. But I just kind of knew from the time I got out that really it wasn't the thing for me. And so I didn't hate it the way some people do. It's uh, like some people get out and it's just like they are, they discover they're allergic to it. Right. That wasn't the case for me. I, I thought it was interesting to read about but mm. it wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And so I got out and really basically within a year I was, I was gone. That mm. was the end of it. Mm. And uh, I, I just, I never looked back. Although, I mean, funny enough, when you're, when you're writing and specifically when you're doing copywriting and for business, you spend a lot of time dealing with influence. So there is a little bit of a strange full circle element because so much of law is about understanding influence. I mean, it, it depends how you see it. A lot of law has nothing to do with influence, but mm. there are definitely parts that I, I draw from that I pull into my current business. And I only realized that, I don't know, maybe like half a year ago, I'm like, oh, that's funny. You know, there there actually is a connection between right. that and what I do now. Right. So, you know, it's uh, you can always use everything. It's interesting. It's interesting you say that because another person that comes to my mind who's done Something very similar is Brian Gardner of uh, Copy Blogger. At what point did you kind of start getting a hint of the fact that you liked writing or copywriting itself? Was it like, it, mm-hmm. I don't know, was go it ahead, like in a, a, a job from a friend or you tried to help someone? How, how did it all start? It took a long time to realize I liked writing. I mean, most of the people I work with, the first thing they tell me is that they hate writing. I mean, there's a small handful of people out there. They, they really like it. I mean, clearly there are people in the world, plenty of them who right. like writing, 
But most people, when I work with them, they have so much anxiety about it, and mm -hmm. they get super stressed, and they're thinking, what do I write? How do I write? I don't want to put something out there. I'm going to be judged. And that was me to a T. Hmm. And so I started writing. The one thing I had on my side is that in my head, I thought I knew how to write. And that was really fortunate because I was an yeah. absolutely horrible writer. Like if you look back at my original, like my blog posts and things like that for my first blog, they're just mm. terrible. Like I clearly have no idea what I'm doing. Mm. Not only do I not understand copywriting, I just can't write at all. Mm. But I didn't know that because, you know, you get out of law school and you think that you know something about writing when in reality, what you're really good at is confusing people with big fancy words, right. which is a totally different thing. So, <laughs> so it was actually out of necessity. I, I was, I, I had to keep hammering away at it. Hmm. And I wanted that what I really wanted to do is I wanted to connect with my audience and I have two audiences I have one blog that's where the audience is primarily photographers right. and I have another one where it's coaches creatives and uh, You know basically people with small businesses right in a much broader scope And so the first one the first blog I did was the one for photographers and really I mean the reason I learned writing was because I wanted to be able to have some sort of impact in that field and I, I wanted to reach people and my words they just weren't doing that and so I mean obviously there's the practical side where you're like why am I not making any money doing this right. because I'm reading all these things and hearing it's like oh if you right. run a webinar or if you have a funnel, you'll make millions instantly. Right. And I'm like, I'm not making pennies instantly. All I'm doing is spending money on you know this tool and that tool, and mm. nothing is coming together. And which year was so, this you're talking about? Just to oh, just so we this can starts. It's I have to look it up. It's either 2010 or 2011. It's probably 2010. Hmm, okay. It might be 2009. It, it's right around that. We're going to say 2010 plus or minus a year. Right. So I, I literally, every time I talk about this, I, I go and have to look up my blog information to remember when I started. Right. But a while ago. Right. So, yeah, the market was really different back then. But um, still, you, you had to be able to communicate. And... I didn't know how to, so nothing would work. And that went on for years mm. and years. And, and finally, one day I said, you know, either I make a go of this and really do it or I quit. <laughs> it, mm. It's one or the other. Right. And <clears throat> I think that forced me to commit, commit myself to really understanding, like, why things weren't working. Mm. And one of the things along the way that I focused on was the writing. And I started really, I, I mean, up till then, I don't know, it, there's so many things to do. It's really easy to make up things when you're running a business and make up reasons why things work or don't work right. without ever actually finding, let's say, a mentor or reading up on things. Mm -hmm. And so I had this whole theory about like how blogging was supposed to work. Mm -hmm. And I had little courses here and there that would talk about bits and pieces, but I didn't have a course that I'd taken that put, well, I did, but the course I had that supposedly put everything together really did not put everything together. Okay. And so I, it took me, it took me several years before it clicked in. But after that, I, I realized that once I realized that when you write, it's not about like, hmm. it's not even about you. It, it's about your audience. Hmm. So I, I think that took off a lot of pressure because it, I, I would focus so much on how, people would perceive me and what they would think about me yeah. and I realized it was making me really self-centered in my whole approach to the thing yeah. and of course if you're really self-centered then your message is not going to stick mm -hmm. because all you're thinking about is like do I look good 
which is the exact opposite of what you're supposed to be thinking about, which is, am I giving people something that's going to be interesting and valuable? And, and uh, am I creating an experience for them? Yeah. It's interesting that you're saying this because this is not the first time that you are really running a business. You have been a photographer. You had studios where people were signing you up for uh, photography gigs. Just curious, what used to excite you when you started your photography business back then and what excites you today? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, this is one of those cases. I'm I'm a big fan of the idea of taking a step forward and just kind of letting the step form in front of you, mm-hmm. knowing that if you put all of yourself into it, that you right. won't fall. Or at least if you'll fall, you'll, you'll recover. You'll figure things out. Mm. And so, I, you know, I've got to say that the... The way I got started, I really, at very first, I said, I mean, there were two different things. So the very, very first thing was, so I see this ad somewhere, and this is actually that first course I just referenced. I see this ad somewhere, you know, it's like, you're going to get rich instantly. I think it was something like, um, you know, if you, it's going to give you like the whole system and then in 60 days, you're going to have six figures, that type of deal, which clearly did not happen. But you look at that and there's this certain allure to thinking, wow, you know, I can sit around and work in my pajamas all day and do whatever I want. So I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And so that's, that's the first, that's actually the thing that gets me started. Not very glamorous, but that, that is the thing that gets me started. And and I suppose actually since you've asked this, as I think about it, mm. I mean I, I guess there there are kind of two sides to the writing thing because mm-hmm. before I started really understanding copywriting and before I started trying to figure that out, which mm-hmm. I came to enjoy much much later okay. in the business, and that's what I was just talking about mm. when you asked me kind of when did I what got me into it? Mm. I guess the thing that kept me going to get to that point is I started writing things. And the writing was horrible, and most of it didn't stick. Mm. But the thing is, there weren't a whole lot of photographers who were kind of willing to say what they thought at that time. I see. And I, because I, I guess because no one was really reading my blog, mm-hmm. even though I wasn't a great writer, I, I, I would occasionally express my opinion out of sheer frustration mm-hmm. with what I saw in the industry. And then... And I kind of noticed that those pieces would stick. And it was really, really rewarding putting something out there where people felt like, oh, you know, this this actually means something to me. And I think actually when I think back, I mean, part of the reason it took me so long to get the business going, I wouldn't say derailed is not the right word because I loved what I did and it was really, really important to me. But I spent a good couple of years in there really not thinking about the monetary part at all because after that course kind of didn't, pan out i really got into just connecting with my audience and sharing my thoughts and it, it got me invited to conferences and talks and and hear you know all sorts of stuff so it, it opened up all sorts of doors and let me meet all sorts of people and i realized i just really enjoyed being able to have a voice in this community mm-hmm. and the word like in, in the coaching world right the word they always talk about is impact but that was a foreign word. The idea of having impact was something that I'd really just never thought about. It wasn't a word that I even was in my vocabulary. Right. And so it was, I think, though, when, when I think back, it was really, that was the first time I felt like I had a sense of impact. And I've always felt that the thing about passion 
is that at the end of the day, whether you start off kind of and it's like straight out of the gates, you're like full of energy right. or it's something that you're doing that you're kind of like, you know, you just have to do mm-hmm. whatever it is, like everyone will have a point in their path where they kind of hit, I call it the tunnel. Mm-hmm. It, it's this part where you don't know what to do to go any further. Right. And it's just like darkness. Yeah. And it's really, really uncomfortable. And so for people who start off passionate, usually what it is, is they get to a point and suddenly their passion, it it burns out. And they say, Mm. what happened? I was enjoying this so much. It was so fun and so exciting. For people who don't, I mean, it happens, it may happen much earlier, it may not, but they they have to confront the fact that they either have to keep doing this or not. Right. But whatever it is, it always, you always hit this wall and you have to kind of walk through this darkness, not yeah. quite knowing where you want to go and yeah. what you want to do before it starts to coalesce again and before right. it starts to turn into something. But but once it does, mm. it becomes so much more personal and you become so much more connected mm. to passion. And so I've always been a big believer that passion isn't really, I mean, like the truest, highest level of passion. It's not something you just kind of you you say this is the thing i want to do and you yeah. find and you say that's it i mean that's called what i call fun you you mm-hmm. do find things that are hugely right. fun but passion is kind of when you have that connection with your greater you start to touch your greater purpose and right. and actually i mean this is kind of geeky but I, I guess i'll throw it out there but a lot of people don't realize that um like the origin of passion in latin i think because i don't know these things always seem to be in latin right <laughs> i mean the the origin of the word passion is suffering like passion of the christ right and the reason it's suffering i assume and i can't remember if i've made this up or I actually heard this somewhere mm-hmm. but it makes sense to me because i mean when you're really when you truly have a passion you're willing to suffer for that purpose your cause becomes so great that you'll do anything you need to to get through it but it doesn't mean everything's fun or everything's easy right and you just can't find that type of commitment initially because you it's it's just not possible. Anyway, right. that's kind of what I started to feel when I was during that period where even though my writing was pretty crappy, mm. I was starting to understand my own feelings about photography and my own connection to it. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I just that that was kind of really um, that was actually now that I think back, that was kind of a big that was a big turning point. And I, I guess that was the thing that kept me going. And, you know, honestly, I've kind of derailed because I don't remember your question. No, that's okay. I think you were going to Yeah, my question was basically, what was the excitement? So the background was simple, right? We all get excited about something, start on a journey. And as we go through the journey and um, go through points in the journey, you, you, you're, the excitement changes, you know? Yes. Something yeah. else comes up and you get excited about that. First, it could have been the fact that you wanted to uh, express your ideas or frustrations or, or whatever you were facing. And today it could be something else. So my question was, what was it then and what is it now that excites you? Yes. Me? Yeah, right, right. And so that that's what it was back then. And what it is now, I think it's it's a little bit more practical. But along the way... The I would work with more people. I, I mean, at some point, like I said, I, I realized uh, even though I loved it, it mm. was something where I needed to generate some income off of it because if I didn't, 
it was taking up so much time that there was just no way to justify it. So what starts to happen is I start to work with more and more business owners. Mm -hmm. And this is what starts to introduce, not introduce me, but interest me mm -hmm. in entrepreneurship and just kind of business in general, because it turns out, you know, running a photography small business is not really a whole lot different from running any other business. I mean, every business has its nuances for sure, but the general principles and influence and what have you, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's almost like a certain sort of physics. Right. And so, or, you know, psychology would probably be more accurate, but the, you know, I start working with people and I, I guess this is kind of the thought that I have. And I always use Steve Jobs as mm -hmm. the example for this because, and one very specific conversation that he had, that he had, but, um, he was talking with Scully and he, he says, he asks Scully like at, at this pivotal point when he's trying to get Scully to come on board right. and work with Apple, he's like, do you want to do you want to do something that changes the world or do you just want to sell sugar water? Right. Now, the funny thing about that story, which is kind of this legendary entrepreneurial story, is that it frames the, the, the world in the sense of having either purpose or no purpose. Yeah. But I think it kind of masks the real truth because if you look at Steve Jobs, I mean, he was the ultimate salesman and yet he was also very, very purpose-driven. Like, yeah. He he led all of the, all of his decisions with his greater sense of like purpose. And I remember when I read his bio, his idea of like a computer being a bicycle for the mind mind and this idea of computers being kind of an extension of a person. It carried through into everything he did and all the decisions he made. But the at the very same time, a huge huge part of his success didn't just come from that. It came from the fact that he sold like nobody's business. Right. And, and so I think the thing I came to realize is that you, you need both because if no one finds you and no one hears about you and you can't connect with your following, then no matter how good you are at what you do and how meaningful it is, it becomes almost impossible to, I mean, and we come back to that word impact, it becomes impossible to have real impact. Right. And so... When I think of Steve Jobs, what I think makes him so unique mm -hmm. is that he packaged up both sides of it. And so, for example, like when I work with coaches, a lot of times they and, and photographers and creatives, I mean, a lot of the focus is on the purpose mm -hmm. and on kind of the greater meaning. And then if I'm when I'm working with people who are more, let's say, hardcore business people, mm -hmm. they want to know more about the influence and how do you get the business. But it's my honest feeling that you really need both of those things if you want, let's say, both a business and something that you do for Absolutely. your life that you find fulfilling. So true. You know, when we were exchanging mails before uh, we got on this interview, uh, I remember you mentioning that you are a bundle of contradictions. Can you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah, I have a tendency. I mean, I'm unusual. Like, for example, I, I tend to be like, I love influence. <laughs> I, I love studying about like the psychology of how all these things work. And I am always reading. I mean, like, well, anyway, I, I mean, all of that. But here's the thing. Like, I, I'm unusual in the sense that I like if you look at most of the people I that I follow who are copywriters, I mean, there are plenty mm. of copywriters who are liberals. But if right. I, I tend to like the really hardcore copywriters, the ones who are kind of cheesy and mm. the ones who border on being I don't mean offensive as, as in mm. they say nasty. Things, but the ones that you kind of think of as like as the cheap salesman. Right. And so, I mean, the reason I love those 
copywriters so much is aside from the fact that a lot of them they are the, the great copywriters and right. they they did incredibly well but the reason i like it is i feel like it's kind of this undistilled version of influence and so it's very easy to see why it works and, and to me it always amazes me that they could be so outlandish and still make it work yeah. and and I look at that and I say, well, these guys must really have understood exactly how to push the buttons because there's no there's no reading this stuff and thinking that you're not being sold. You know you're being sold, but you let it go anyway because they're so good at pushing the buttons that you say, okay, I give. I'm just going to, you know, I'll buy or I'll take, you know, I'll send in for this free mail or, or whatever. Yeah. And so I love studying those guys. Almost to a T, though, I always, you know, for people I know who kind of put themselves in, let's say, the progressive or liberal camp or whatever, mm -hmm. invariably, they hate marketers like that. Yeah. For people who are really purpose driven, they hate marketers like that because it stands for the exact opposite of what they want to do with their life. Right. And I suppose that's kind of why Steve Jobs and this idea, this idea that he was a salesman, really, as much as kind of a leader, yeah. really stuck with me because he, he's really not a purist in that sense and and so like that would be one example in, invariably i find kind of most of the people who kind of politically or kind of even philosophically are in the same camp as i am they hate all the stuff that i study <laughs> you know if i talk you know, it's the least inspiring stuff ever like when i when i'm coaching with people even if i use the use these things as examples i'm very cautious about it because i know how people are going to react but um I, I tend to be kind of very left-brained on one hand and yet uh, uh in in career like in my career choices i've been a creative i've been um i mean I've, i was a graphic designer photographer i've been uh, a failed attempt as a filmmaker but i did film production and some commercial work and stuff like that and and yet at the very same time i'm like kind of actually that would be a right brained but i'm hyper left brained about the way i break down the world and the way i see things like I, i've never had kind of like the way my friends would do things and i mean they they would come from this creative space and this very kind of like let me feel it and let me be creative and that right brain space and i would always like the way i've always solved every creative problem is by powering through it and thinking about it relentlessly until i could put it together and, and so i kind of always describe myself as a left-brained creative mm -hmm. which is kind of a weird thing but uh but invariably kind of that type of thing shows up over and over and so i, I don't tend to be I mean, I suppose, you know, kind of growing up, I mean, even going through law school, it, like I said, I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer, but it wasn't that the subject of law itself wasn't interesting. I mean, I, I thought law was great, but uh, it was it was just fun to study, not to do. But then kind of, you know, I come out and I'm looking for a job as a creative and I tend to waffle like that. Really, it's kind of like. Yeah, there's like, you know, there's no real there's no real rhyme or reason from like one job to the next or one thing I do to the next. I just kind of stumble on it. But I do find it's just this regular thing where I kind of I describe it as kind of flipping between the two sides of my brain is like if I don't do enough to address one part, then I start to feel burnt out. And and so I need to find a way to do some other activity that engages the other part of the brain. And I suppose actually you asked, like, why do I like writing? And I suppose maybe, you know, when when you you think about it, right, I mean, writing requires that you're using both. Right. It's it's a medium where you can really equally utilize both parts of your brain. But I suppose that that was kind of what I had in mind when I was describing it is it. that. Uh, 
Um, yeah, yeah, I don't tend to work like most people. Like my brain doesn't really, it's it's weird. It does strange things and sometimes to the point of being an irritation in my life. Speaking of writing, I was looking through Spencer's blog and I was trying to read through his blog post and I must say that he really has a way with writing really good headlines. Some of the headlines that I saw on his blog were titled The Sure Shot Way to Convert Followers to Buyers When You Create Any Content. The Dull But Effective Way to Get People to Pay for Stuff That They Really Can't Afford. Why Hustle Won't Save Your Business. So I was actually curious if Spencer had some way of formulating these headlines. Was there a formula or a thumb rule that he always looked up to to come up with such interesting and intriguing headlines? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, the answer is not, I, I don't typically, I mean, I have like every copywriter in the world. I have my big list of swipe files and I have my mm-hmm. lists of formulas. And certainly from time to time I go and say like, oh, you know, I should go and use that formula. But right. mostly, no, I, I don't usually use formulas because it, I find, I, I, I guess I just like torturing myself and I like to really do sucky stuff. I mean, sometimes, you know, when you invent stuff off your head, it turns right. out like you fall flat on your face, your face and it's horrible. But mm-hmm. at the very least, I feel like I'm practicing. And so even, even if I'm, even, even if I'm being like pigheaded and stupid, I'm like, yes, you know, I'm being yeah. pigheaded and stupid in my way. Um, you know, the answer is though, I, I will throw out kind of a couple of thoughts that are going on in my mind. Now, I mean, the hustle one would be kind of the exception to the rule because that one really, I picked it because I think it was kind of, it was on my mind. It was something that was, to me, it was something I was feeling Mm -hmm. at the time I created that. And also hustle is kind of a topic that a lot of people are continuing to talk about with Gary Vee and what have you out there and saying, you know, you just got to work and, you know, and I mean, he works relentlessly. And so, you know, there are a lot of people reacting to the word hustle. So in that particular case, it was really just kind of, it's a timely word Mm -hmm. and it also just fits the topic. So that was easy. But let's take the the second one. Could you could you read the second one? Again? <laughs> no worries. Yeah, I, uh, I could read any of any of them. Uh, maybe this one: the dull but effective way to get people to pay for stuff they can't really afford. Yes. Okay. So this is something that comes up not just with headlines, but it comes mm-hmm. up a lot with, let's say, if you're doing a sales page, or even if you're doing a page just with like a regular web page, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I always describe this as kind of. Um, a pitch and prove format, but uh, when I'm talking about a web page, but so a lot of people here, here's what happens, right? A lot of people, they think I don't want to be really salesy. And so I'm going to put something out there that maybe sounds nice and eloquent and restrained, but they don't realize that the problem is that you're dealing with a sea of people who are screaming and shouting and also even among, and also a sea of people who also equivalent, not just equivalently, not equivalently at all, but who also, who don't want to be salesy. So you've got a bunch of people who want to be salesy and they're screaming Mm -hmm. and yelling. And then you've got a bunch of people who also don't want to be salesy and they're also being restrained and eloquent in the exact same way. Mm -hmm. And so you've kind of got two things working against you because you've got this one group who's making these big claims that are even bigger and bolder and more brash than yours. Mm -hmm. And then you've got this other group who's saying essentially the same thing that you're saying because they're taking the same approach that you are. Right. And so it becomes really hard to stand out. And so invariably, if you're too restrained, 
I mean, the web is not a medium that rewards eloquence. It is not something where people have the time or are in the mindset for, let's say, sophistication. Mm. And so <clears throat> invariably, like the first thing you got to do is you got to grab people's attention. And so what most people do to avoid kind of creating that knee-jerk knee reaction saying, you, you're just selling me and I don't trust you, is they restrain their headline and kind of make it sound well, dull. <laughs> I'm just going to use the word dull. A lot of them are really, really boring. Well, the problem is if, if you put something out there that's boring or the same as everybody else, everyone will ignore it. 100%, I can just about, I can, not even just about, I can guarantee it. People will ignore it. And if people ignore it, then no one's going to read the rest of your content, which is where you really deliver your message. And no one's ever going to learn about all the wonderful things that you can do for them and the wonderful ways that you can help them. Yeah. So typically, like what you want to do is you anytime you create content, you want to track with what people are thinking. Like my favorite quote about content, at least, is comes from this guy, Robert Collier. And he said, you always need to enter the conversation in the buyer's mind. And so that's basically it. Right. If you think about writing, it is at least writing as far as marketing goes and, and influence. If you can say what's on people's minds That'll get their attention, that'll make them read, and that'll make them feel connected. Right. The only thing is that's a moving target. It keeps changing and shifting. It changes based right. on like if you said something, then you have to anticipate what their next what the next thought in their head is going to be. And of course, it keeps changing because markets change just by way of trends. But still, it's a fantastic rule. And I think it's absolutely true. And so, you know, someone comes to a page and like, what are they thinking? They're thinking about some problem in their life, something they want solved, maybe some political issue they want to hear about. I mean, it depends on the type of content you're, you're, you're the audience you're addressing and what type of content you provide. But that's the type of thing, right? And so the solution isn't to pull back on your headline. It's actually to go with something that is really going to nail it and grab mm. people's attention. And then you deal with what the conversa how the conversation in their mind is going to change after they see that. And I'll tell you what it's going to be. Mm. They're going to see this big claim that you make. And right away, they're going to say, that's really interesting. And then they're going to think but you're just bullshitting me. Everyone makes these big claims. But it will at least get their attention. If you've hit it right and you've offered something that's big and that's a problem they're suffering from, it will absolutely grab their attention. But you then have to deal with the knee-jerk reflex, which is that I don't trust you. Right. And the simple way you solve that is you offer up some form of proof, whether hmm. it's an award you've won or a testimonial or even just like information that proves it. It, it's a really simple kind of one-two punch that most yeah. people don't realize is done all the time in marketing. Right. And uh, they don't even realize it's kind of part of like they, that they can have it as their toolkit. But if you take that approach, what happens is first you offer something that maybe is a little bit over the top. But mm. I mean, you don't have to way over the top, maybe just like a tiny bit. Right. And then you immediately address the skepticism that's going to come in right after that, mm. because that's what, how people react whenever something is a little bit over the top. And then after that, people are going to be like, OK. Let me give this person a chance. And then they're just going to read and they're going to see what you have to say. Right. And so by doing it that way, you kind of, yes, you might trigger just a hint of this BS meter reflex in people's minds. Right. But you're going to shut it down right away. So no one's going to care. It's going to be okay. And it works great. So what's kind of going on with that headline that you just talked about right. is, um, is, is, two things. So you've got the big promise, right? Hmm. And so the big promise is, uh, 
That's like the third time I've forgotten the headline. The big promise is the second half of the headline where I say, um, even if people can't, you're going to be able to do whatever, even mm-hmm. if people can't afford you, right? Mm-hmm. And so invariably, like that's a problem that a lot of people deal with, especially yeah. kind of earlier on in their business where they haven't quite figured out, like they're relying on, for example, low price to right. be competitive with the market. Right. And so that kind of fits the thought on people's minds. Like, how do I get people to buy? And all the time people tell me I can't afford it or I don't want to pay that much. And yet I don't get it because all these other people who charge way more than me, but I can't seem to charge that. So that's that's the promise. And the one word that this that headline hinges on is the word dull. Hmm. And it's it's a wonderful principle. This principle is 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 um, the principle of contrast. Like whenever you create contrast, it does two things. The contrast creates a riddle. And because people say, like, when you have two elements that oppose each other, Mm. it creates a riddle, like, how does that work? But in this particular case, because dull is kind of a negative thing that people don't generally advertise, it not only creates, I mean, I would say actually does three things. It creates a riddle, it creates Mm. a little bit of shock, and it creates a sense that that's bizarrely honest, even though the rest of it is right. kind of a headline, right? right. And, and so it serves multiple purpose, purpose,s But what I'm thinking in my mind as the when I'm writing this is like, how do I get some contrast in there? Yeah. How do I contrast this idea of like, here's something super effective and like, well, what's the opposite of that going to be? Yeah. I'm thinking all boring, ineffective, right? Right. And so if you, if you, I mean, literally, if you write like, here's an ineffective but effective way to do blank, I mean, even that as bizarre as it sounds would probably, I mean, it's going to work better than saying, you know, do you need more ways to do blank right. <laughs> or something? Right. I, I mean, it, it's, um, it's one of those things. Contrast just has this immediate effect. And so it's yeah. one of the things I'm always thinking about. And, and that's what's going on there. So right. it, it kind of you hear dull and you're like, whoa, what, what is that about? Mm-hmm. And but it's weird because you're not supposed to say that. Who goes around saying, here's a really boring way to do stuff. Right. And so it it uh, it it really it's it's all about creating that curiosity. Mm-hmm. But it has, like I said, it kind of has a hint of a strange hint of truth to it at the exact same time. Hey, it's me again. I really wanted to quickly stop right here to remind you that you don't really need to take notes as you hear Spencer say all of what he's saying about headlines and so much more. All of this is available for download. I've created a PDF that contains all of the tips that Spencer shares in this episode, plus a bunch of others that I observed from his blog. So don't worry, just listen to this conversation and you can find the PDF that contains all of this in the show notes, which is at designyourthinking.com slash S2E31. That's season two, episode 31. All right, let's get back right into the conversation. Hmm. The other thing I've kind of noticed, um, you know, it's 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 really uh, interesting in the way you actually follow through. I mean, you talked about it, right? You talked about the fact that having um, a headline like that and not having following it up with good content could kind of lead to uh, a feeling like it's been, uh, you know, you're being cheated kind of. But then you seem to have this thing of being, not just delivering uh, the right content, but I think you're, you're very convincing in the way you write it. I think, one thing I'm seeing is as I speak to you and I read your 
content, they just see or rather feel the same. So I've heard yeah. people talk about this and I, I write it right that way too, which is right the way you speak. But then there's something more there. You know, I kind of see uh, you, 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 there, there is something, some element there, which I probably don't see, which makes it so convincing. Is there another secret right. somewhere there? Yeah, I mean, there, there are, I mean, first, I mean, I, I want to say that like writing the way you speak is, is great, great advice. And it's what I tell everybody. And <clears throat> literally it, it's strange because I, I know I struggled with it. Mm. But then once you get used to kind of writing the way you talk, you, when you watch others, you know, when you're on the other side, you, you watch other people, you're like, why is it so hard? Right. But I know it's so hard because I went through it and I know mm. it's so hard because when I work with people, there's, you realize that, you know, everyone's got this authentic version of themselves kind of underneath like 20 layers of baggage. Mm. And it's a lot to clear out all these bad habits. But yeah, I mean, there definitely is because there's, there's writing like you talk. And there's what they call like the no like trust factor. And you hear about that, right? Yes. If you want people, let's say, to buy or you want to sell or you want to market, you have to create the no like trust factor. And and that's absolutely true. And there's a lot to that. Like mm. people very often are not good at <laughs> creating that no like trust factor. Right. But here's the thing. I kind of think of it like this. There are two different tracks. And so the first track is kind of this no like trust Right. track where it's about your connection with your audience mm. and it's a prerequisite like you have to have it if you yeah. want to build a good connection if people don't have it even if you can manage to sell something it's going to be because like you're the cheapest and you're commoditized and whatever but yeah. it's never it's never what you're going to want mm. so that's one thing but that's not what creates actual influence that's kind of the thing that sets the foundation to create actual influence mm. And so, I mean, there are different ways to look at influence and there there are all sorts of, I mean, it, it runs the whole gamut. Mm. But at a basic level, you've got a principle like ADA, which is kind of this, uh, you know, it's what most people will teach about, teach, yeah. talk about. It's the idea that you have to take people through states of attention, interest, desire, and then taking action. And I'm not going to go into ADA because it's so out there and anyone can Google it. Right. And it's not, I mean, it's it's common. Right. Although, again, really misunderstood, but still common. And it doesn't take much to find out about it. But then you kind of have a much more psychological level. Like you have to look at things like, well, one thing I heard from... Ed Bernays. And so he's the guy who invented propaganda. And so, mm. you know, it's, it's, it doesn't sound great to be drawing from the guy who learned from <laughs> propaganda. But, you know, like I said, I mean, influence at the end of the day is influence. And, and and this is, I guess, part of the reason I think it's so important to have a greater purpose so that you're not just kind of running around trying to manipulate people. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, I mean, you're not going to, well, I don't know, you, you might be very profitable, but I don't right. think you're going to be able to create a, a life where you get to kind of take a leadership role mm-hmm. and actually do something meaningful. But still, I, I think kind of, I mean, obviously what Bernays had right was that he found a way to make influence work. And uh, and so this, what he described was that you, what you want to do is you want to create the beliefs that necess- necessitate your product in other words the example i always use for this is let's say let's take volvo Mm -hmm. what volvo's goal would be 
And this example worked better, let's say, 20 years ago, even though I wasn't using it 20 years ago, but it works better because their cars were super ugly at the time. And so people would always say, like, why does anyone buy a Volvo? But the answer is obvious. You buy it because it's safe, right? right? You buy it because it protects your family or it protects you. And so the thing about Volvo is, well, th what they want to do is they want to get people to believe in safety, because if you believe in safety, it necessitates that you pick their cars. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm creating something, I'm always thinking about, okay, what are the beliefs that I need to shape to get people on board with right. the way I think of things and the way I see the world? And the funny thing is, even though this actually comes from Ed Bernays and its origin was, I mean, its origin goes way, way back, but... <clears throat> Even though he, you know, we're talking about the guy who invented propaganda. Mm -hmm. I think the truth is advocating for your beliefs is much closer to the real reason why people run a business anyway. Mm -hmm. Like, don't you create a product because you've got a way of doing it and right. you want to show people that this is a better way and it's founded on some sort of belief about like a, like this different way to do things and why it's better than the rest of the world. Right. Like I'm sure, you know, for Volvo, safety is not just lip service. I, mm -hmm. I mean, safety is kind of their idea of the best way to do a car. Mm -hmm. And so funny enough, you know, most people, they just sit around talking about benefits. Here's why this is better. Or they sit around trying to prove like, here's why I'm better or I'm more knowledgeable or right. my approach is going to get you better results. But the thing is, if you actually get people to see on board with this, whatever kind of the beliefs that fit your way of doing things, mm -hmm. then by just by doing that alone, you stand out. You differentiate yourself from everyone else out right. there because you eliminate the competition because they're not going to have the same beliefs. Right. And then people sit around and say, well, when it comes time to buy, they say, okay, this is the thing I want because this is the thing that's based on, like in cars, it's based on safety and I believe in safety. Right. And so the amazing thing is you can actually, if you have a, if you know kind of what you believe and you know where you're going, you can actually pre-sell a product without even having the product introduced or talking about it or anything else just by shaping what people think so that it's consistent with your way of doing things. So at some level, like, I guess the answer to your question is, I'm always thinking about kind of what are the greater beliefs that mm -hmm. I'm trying to advocate for? And what are the things that I want people to really see that the rest of the market is not addressing? Now, how that shows up and manifests itself, I mean, it's different in every post and everything I write. Right. But I, I think at the uh, at the core level, I mean, that's always in the back of my mind. Right. No, I think uh, it, it shows. I mean, the I was trying to read one of your blog posts as you were speaking about it. And I do see it. Um, you know, let's let's move on here. Uh, we'll get back to it, um, to this in a moment. You know, you've been creating stuff. You've been a uh, you know, photographer. You've been writing. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of love this, uh, this aspect of everyone's life. It's the fact that, especially for creatives, is that we end of the day are putting out this body of work and they are going to live longer than we are going to. So it's, it's going to exist even beyond our time. So is there a kind of work that uh, you have personally always wanted to do that you haven't had a chance to work on so far? Uh, <clears throat> that's a really good question. I mean, constantly and everything. <laughs> It's, uh, I mean, the answer is yes, although, I mean, I don't have a really like, it's not like, boom, there's this super tangible thing that pops mm -hmm. right into my head. I think the thing I would really like to do, I, I mean, probably one of my favorite things and part of the reason I enjoy copywriting so mm -hmm. much is I really love 
looking at trend. I love seeing how things change. It's always fascinating to me how you can put out the exact same product or do the exact same behavior. Mm-hmm. And depending on the era, it will it can be vastly successful or it can be a complete failure. Mm-hmm. And so I really have uh, always wanted to take that into my photography. And I, I was actually pausing as I said photography because in my head really I don't think about it as photography like I I think of it more as kind of art and I don't even really think of as art I just think of it as communication Hmm. but I'd like to do kind of some more creative work that addresses the idea of kind of trend and the changes we're seeing in perception especially because we're seeing it at a faster rate than ever before and I I think kind of it it becomes more and more clear Hmm. how quickly things change and there are more opportunities to play with that As, is, as it's kind of in an artistic medium. And so I, I suppose if you ask me kind of what is the thing, I mean, to me, that's kind of part of the DNA of communication. It's about right. this kind of shifting underbelly that's not even about the words and not about images. It's just about kind of the way things move and mm. change in, in, in societies. Right. And I'd really, I would love to do more work on that front. Though, nice. you know, I mean, I've got things I'm working on. Like I've got a book, uh, uh, photography slash art slash whatever communicate whatever you want to call right. it I, I've got a book that I've had ready forever but I, I have to admit I haven't found the time to to get it done so it's kind of been on the back burner but I, I think you know I'm I'm also pretty happy with where I'm at I I think kind of I, I mean I'd like to move into other forms of writing as well and and not purely just copywriting Right. But uh, but those are kind of all those things are more at a personal level. I think professionally, I, I'm pretty happy with being able to work with the people I work with and being able to do the things that I do. So I, I guess in that sense, uh, I, I'm pretty content. But but I, I guess, you know, at the end of the day, like I'm the type of person where I'm like, I think everything is great. Right. <laughs> like you know, if it were up to me, I could. And and it's not. <laughs> and, I, you know, I'd live a billion lives and do every single thing I could. Yeah. But. You know, I just, I can't, like I wanted to be for a while. I was thinking, oh, maybe I'd retire and be like an archaeologist. <laughs> One boat that passed me by. Yes, actually something people don't know about me uh, is that I, I always kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe about five years ago, mm-hmm. I realized, oh, you know, I wish I'd done something like contemporary dance when I was in college, which is bizarre. Anyone who knows me would sit around. I mean, nobody knows that. <laughs> no one other than my wife knows that I ever had that thought. When I think back, it's like, why didn't I do something with my body as opposed to kind of just something with my head, you know? Right. But it just didn't hit me. And, you know, that that ship has kind of sailed. <laughs> so it's like, well, OK, I, I guess I'm probably not going to be going that route. Right. Right. But, uh, but anyway, so so there you go. Lots of stuff. Um, I'm all really pretty scattered. Really interesting. Uh, you know, you, you probably know this and uh, we all have, you know, our, our lives are not kind of linear, right? Things get shaped. There are points in time which push us to newer levels and that's what defines us as who we are today. What are the what have been the most defining moments in your life and in life career in general? Oh wow. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, I'm gonna I'll stall and pick the obvious answer first before I can see if I can find a second one. Sure. So the obvious answer is family. Uh, I think a lot of people say that. And this one took me a while. I mean, I, I have to confess that it took me a while. When my son was born, you kind of, you, you, people didn't tell me about this. I don't know why no one ever talks about this. Maybe because I'm a jerk and no one else feels this way. But I don't know what it is. 
But, you know, my son was born and I remember that I kind of in an abstract sense, I loved him. Like there's this being here right. in front of you and you're kind of like, I love him, but I don't really understand him or feel connected to him. And he just sits around and poops a lot. Hmm. And so you feel a little, I felt a little bit inadequate. Like, I'm like, why do I not feel this gush of warmth that I see some people have? And so I felt really guilty, like something was missing. So I was so happy as he grew older. I'm like, oh, I do love him. This is good. <laughs> so so that was a real comfort. But I, I think kind of you you invariably hit that point where I think the thing is like you, you know, life at the end of the day, it will give you exactly as much as you need and as much as you take out of it. I mean, a lot of times people have this idea that they have to have, like, they have to do a certain job, they have to achieve certain accomplishments, yeah. and that they can't be happy without these things. Mm. Some of them are material necessities, some of them are, like I said, they're accomplishments, but people get really tied to those things. And even like certain life experiences, they say, if I don't travel the entire world and blah, 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 then I will not have lived a meaningful life. Mm. But the thing is, like, that always bothers me at some level, because the is like if you go back like living in a village and they don't do any of those things <clears throat> and they can't technology isn't at a place where they can do that right. a society is not there they, they stay in one village their whole life and they do the same thing every day hmm. and to me it doesn't seem to make sense to say this person could not have had a fulfilling meaningful life because they didn't have all the things that we have yeah. and so if someone becomes attached to any particular outcome or set of activities you wind up in this place i think kind of where you start, you keep thinking that more is the answer mm -hmm. and not simply having what's in front of you. And I guess that's the thing about family that really, for me, that was the big revelation. Like suddenly I had family mm -hmm. and I realized that it's not just time with family, but I realized that kind of life as it is, is enough. Like there's kind of, there are only two ways to look at it. There's either more than you can possibly do, which mm -hmm. I feel all the time because I want to do so much right. or there's you can or there's I mean I, I guess I see it like this actually on those lines is like I tend to think well you've got life and life at last from point A to point whatever mm -hmm. Z and in, if you find that all that time is valuable and meaningful and important in your life then you've lived as perfect a life as you can it doesn't really matter what's done in that period yeah. because it, it's either that view that there's enough and you just need to use it well mm. or the view is that if you if you can't do more of everything then your life is less satisfying mm. but since there's constantly more and more things to do that means there's this kind of inflation of happiness where right. you have to do more just to be happy and that doesn't make any sense to me right. but i think that's kind of what modern society what we all get caught up in yeah. there's like more and more like shiny objects of every sort right. and we feel like we don't have it we're not going to be happy right. and i guess that's it you know i had family and i realized you know i i just want the time i have that's it you know, it doesn't, I, I want to do all sorts of things, but I don't have to. I just want right. to use the time I have. And if I have that, then that's enough. Right. So I guess it, I never found a second answer, but <laughs> that's okay. But, but I, I'm going to go with that. Let, let's just go with that. That, that was, that was probably my big, that was my big life altering moment. Nice. Yeah. So let, let me ask one question that actually extends what you said, perhaps. What does success mean to you? What's your definition? Hmm. So there's this story. This is actually, uh, this is one of my favorite stories. Someone recently asked me my favorite quote, but the problem is this is not a quote. It's just a story. Mm. And so this is about the founder of judo. 
-hmm. So this, when he's getting close to dying, he gathers all his students together and he explains to them, you know, I want to be buried with a white belt. He insisted on it. Hmm. And so sure enough, he was buried with a white belt. Now that story hit me on two levels. I mean, one, of course, it's an act of incredible humility hmm. because there you are. You're, if you're the inventor of the thing, like you are kind of the de facto top of the food chain, you are the ultimate black belt in that discipline. Right. And yet he's choosing to be buried with a white belt. But I think kind of the part, so there's just kind of the feel of it. But I think the part that really hit home to me hmm. was the idea of it because you know, there he is, and he, he could be buried with a black belt. But what he's saying is, even in his death, he wants to be, he wants, he, he likes, the, he prefers, he chooses the idea that life is always about being open to the possibility of everything. That it's always about kind of that beginner's mind and right. being able to look at everything and absorb what's out there instead of focusing on your ego and your accomplishment and your achievement. And to me, that's what success is. Success is that moment when you can be where you are and let go and say, I'm just going to be as much of who I am and right. not worry about kind of get wrapped up in all those thoughts about who I think I should be hmm. and just absorb what's around me. And so I feel nice. like if I can do that, then I'm successful. And if I can't, really well, nice. I mean, that's my struggle every single day. I, some really. days I'm less successful, some days I'm more. Really nice. Really well put, in fact. Um, so, Spencer, you've kind of started multiple businesses since the time you got out of law school. And I'm sure yeah. you, you know, uh, try to leave no stone kind of unturned to make each one of them a success. Um, you know, Curious, what are the two things that you've, two or three things, Max, that you've found yourself doing every time you started a new business to make it, yeah, you know, to make it successful? Yeah, I always go through cycle. And um, usually it, it, most businesses, they start off pretty well and then, and then <laughs> most, some, right. some don't. But then invariably at some point, like things flame out and then something really bad happens and then things tank and either at that point either i make it work or mm. i don't mm. but I, I always describe kind of my 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 business life as a story of immense failure and every now and then the occasional success mm. but really i mean that's the beauty of success is you don't actually need that much because when things work it kind of it it's this amplifier effect, like they can have huge changes that ripple into everything else you do. And so it kind of offsets all the failures I have, mm -hmm. which is kind of the default condition. Usually I, I fail at everything in, right. in, in, in good amounts. <laughs> but I, I would say kind of, I mean, the first is really, I, I think kind of, I, I have an unusual process and mm. I, I tend to really like like the first thing I'll do whenever I start doing anything, like when I started doing photography, the very first thing I did was I tried to look at the most obscure people out there hmm. who every, who I even many of whom I hated and tried to figure out like, why are they good? Like, what is the thing that makes people say they're good? Why are they con considered successful? And so I rarely, and I did that with photography. I mean, I did that as a designer. I do that with everything. Hmm. It's usually I always make it my mission to understand like, okay, who's at the very top and mm. what 
made them the absolute best. The part that's not super un uncommon in and of itself, but I tend to do it to a point where I, I don't care if I like the people or not. Like if I someone see. offends me and I think they're stupid, I still don't care if, the, if mm. they were seen as great. I want to know why they're great. And I'll mm. even try to replicate that and understand that mm. and pick it apart, even if it's not my thing, mm. because I feel like there must have been something that they saw that I didn't or that or something that other people saw in right. saying that they're that significant that I'm not. Mm. And so I kind of put aside whatever thoughts that I have mm. and whatever beliefs that I have and try to kind of fill them in with people who are more knowledgeable. Mm. So, I mean, that's the first thing. And it's actually made a huge difference. Not so much because, I mean, you really can only understand so much. Mm. Like, at any given point, if you're just starting out, you can look at the best. Like I could look at whoever's, you know, I can look at Roger Federer and say he's a great tennis player because right. he looks good to me. But I've got no idea what he's doing. I can't absorb like how to play tennis just by watching him or anything like right. that. But what it did do, I found, and I think the more significant thing is it let me kind of let go of all those assumptions. Hmm. And uh, what you kind of discover is that all the assumptions you make, usually they're at least partially wrong, especially in the beginning. Right. Because you don't understand things that much. And so it kind of let me not let, I mean, you you still do it, but it, it let me let go a lot of a lot of the things that would normally be kind of a limiting belief. Mm. So it was kind of actually, I've always, my, my general thought is, well, at the end of the day, you know, I, I'm really... What do I know? That's how I see it. You know? right. what, <clears throat> which um, I guess now calls into question why anyone would be want to listen to me. But really, <clears throat> you know, you, you want, you know, we can only know a tiny piece of the puzzle with anything. So I figure, you know, what do I know? So it, uh, it it helped me kind of not have to deal with thinking this is how I think things mm -hmm. actually work and then having to discover that I was wrong or having to get past it right. somewhat. So I, I would say kind of that was the first thing. And usually that's why most businesses that I started at first went reasonably well is that um, I think kind of I would avoid a lot of the really stupid mistakes and I would immediately start looking for like mentors and mm. studying people and whatever and I just steal from them. Mm. I think the second thing and this goes back to the idea of kind of passion and purpose mm. is I always it was always really important to me. I just feel really discontent when I have no sense of purpose. But the thing I kind of realized in life is that you don't know your purpose in advance. You only know your purpose in reverse. Like you do something so and then you start to look at yourself and you're like, oh, that's how I am. I mm. apparently must believe this because I keep doing this over and over or I keep arguing for this or fighting for this or right. whatever. And so it would always bother me not to have a purpose because I felt like that's this thing that lets you coalesce into like one cohesive ball so you can understand yourself. When the truth is, it's more like we're just a bunch of thoughts bundled together and right. uh, right. that are many of which are very inconsistent. Right. And so, uh, you know, this this need to have a purpose would always force me to constant, constantly evaluate myself and where I was at and what I was doing and put it in the context of things. And I think that really that really helped me a lot with every business. It's not that I always figured out my purpose, right. but because I was constantly evaluating, it would always let me assess kind of like, this is where I'm at and this seems to be what I'm trying to do. Right. But I think at a bigger level, it's that idea like, I mean, I don't mind the idea of working hard, even though I have something, you know, I was complaining about hustle in that post, but I, you know, I, I'm all for like, if you want to work hard, then go work hard, have at it. 
But I think the thing is that what I don't like is when you're kind of just forcing yourself to go through the motions right. and it doesn't mean anything right. to you. And so kind of I think this thing about always trying to figure out where I'm at and what I'm trying to do, it kept me, it didn't just keep me motivated, but it would, act, it would actually get me more motivated. Like I would nice. see the business as kind of a way, not each business and everything I did was kind of a way to shape my purpose and to understand myself that much more. So, I mean, not to say that I haven't had vast bouts of, you know, totally non-productive time because I, I've got that in spades. Right. But still, I mean, that was the one thing that would help me offset it is I'd nice. say like, I just kind of try to put that together. And so it made me kind of work hard without hating it, I guess is the short way to say it. Nice. Um, you know, if you were me sitting here with you having this conversation right now, what is that one question that you would ask that I did not ask you so far? Well, what I would ask, although I can't easily explain it in a short amount of time, but I, I would ask going back to, I, I'm going to put on my marketing slash influence hat right. since that's the thing I do. And, and uh, I assume a lot of people out there listening, I mean, they're thinking about trying to start their own thing of some mm -hmm. sort in some form. So I talked about that idea of like, well, you got to shape people's beliefs to create your product. And the thing I would ask is, well, how do you actually do that? Because it's kind of one thing to hear, oh, that's the principle involved. And, right. you know, it makes a certain sort of sense, I think, to most people when I right. tell the story of Volvo. But it's like, well, what do you do right. on an everyday basis to right. make that happen? Yeah, if you could answer that for me. <laughs> the quick answer, I mean, the quick answer is, I mean, this is so self-serving, but the quick answer is like, right. And, and, you know, learn to write and learn to write in a, in a way that furthers your business. And of course, if you believe in the idea of belief in a way that furthers kind of your voice and your beliefs and, and get people on board with you. And it's, it's true. Every writer will say this exact same thing. And this is not true of just copywriters, but anyone who writes anything at all will say, well, practice, you know, mm -hmm. go in every single day and force yourself to practice. And it's so boring but i think the idea of practice is that like the truest thing there is no matter what you do i mean really kind of you know at the end of the day we think kind of maybe like the awards you win and stuff like that that's right. like the real living and you just practice that's the non-important time but I, I think it's the other way around it's right. the practice that's real life that's what right. you 99.9 percent .9 of your life right? right that's the real opportunity for growth if you get results and you get money and you get awards or whatever else, I mean, great. But that's just kind of a, a reflection of the fact that you practiced. And so people, they want to avoid the practice right. when in reality, practice is the whole point of it all. And so anyway, as for writing, like if people just sit there and spend about 15 minutes a day hmm. doing this one activity, I mean, after a few months, their ability to communicate to their audience will change. Hmm. Their ability to kind of get their point across, to get fans and followers to get people to sit around and say, whoa, you know, you've got something to right. you. It, it will change. And so, you know, the rest of it, I mean, of course there's more, uh, of course, you, you know, there are tons of ways to get people on board or tons of things right. you can say and blah, blah, blah. Right. But to be honest, if you don't practice, it won't matter. And, you know, you can take all the courses in the world and study all the stuff you want, but going back to like watching tennis it's like well I, I can you know i've watched tennis all my life but i don't play and that's why i can't play right so practice the biggest question people ask when whenever someone sees this is well i can write but who will read it so yeah what, what's your reaction to such a question 
Well, it's one of those classic chicken and the egg things, right? I mean, you know, no one no one reads it because you don't write enough, and then you don't write because no one reads it. Right. And so it's like, well, you need you got to have one or the other. But it's I think kind of that's the thing, right? It's like people are looking for like the big tectonic shifts that completely change their business or change their life or whatever. Right. But everything that I've ever done at some point is attached. I can almost always attach it to some really small trivial action mm-hmm. that didn't seem to mean a lot at the time. It's only kind of in retrospect you realize, oh, that one time I met so-and-so or that one day I decided to do blank instead of sit home. Right. That's when you that, you know, when you look back, you realize that yeah. that was everything. But looking forward, you can't possibly no and so the thing is like you know how does business go well it goes in little it goes in fits and spurts but there are kind of these big changes if you keep at it and so there will be like you'll have like nothing for a long time and then suddenly there'll be a huge set of changes and then it'll go back to nothing for a while or you'll be level at this new level and then there'll be another huge set of changes but if you sit around and you're saying well i'm not going to do anything until i get to that big change then the big change just never comes and so it's the same thing with writing like you got to have content to attract people i mean there's got everyone starts with a point where it's just like their their mom <laughs> clicking like in facebook and that's right. it honey you did such a great job i love what you wrote and it's like but that's okay it's actually a great opportunity because right. this is a chance to cut your teeth and do whatever you want without any judgment right. and right. and then you get good at it and then you start to build this well of content and people start to see it. And then, I mean, what do you do? Like after you've discovered someone who you think is interesting, like what do you do? Well, you know, if you're me, you sit around and stalk them for a little bit and say, who are these people? Right. And then if there's nothing there, like there's no content they've written, there's no whatever, you're like, oh, I mean, a lot of times I stop. Like I get really interested in someone right. and then I see like, oh, they don't have much that they put out in the world. Right. And it's like, okay. And then I get deflated and I lose interest. Right. And so, you know, chicken or the egg, right? I right. mean, you got to do one thing. You, you got to do something. Right. So, you know, create some content. It, it's you. And at the end of the day, I mean, I, I'm going to throw out one other thing, but Really, I mean, you know, what's more important? Is it is the is the idea in life that if you've got followers, business is good, or is the idea in life that if you are strong, and that's the word I use, but I mean strong being like skilled and mm-hmm. you have the ability and you have the knowledge, that that is what really matters. Because I always see it as like, if you're strong, the results will follow. Right. But if you have results, that doesn't really mean anything if you don't have the ability to back it up because mm-hmm. then what's your next step gonna be? Right. And so it's kind of like, well, creating content gets you strong. It lets you see into your business. It lets you connect with people who are right. going to open doors and right. all that type of stuff. So so that that's that's my take on it. It's like, just go out there, do it. The audience will come. I mean, I'm not saying you don't have to do any extra work to make the audience come. That's its own thing. But still, the audience, you, that that's going to be like that content is a catalyst that will help get that audience on board with what you do. Beautiful. Um, this has been a wonderful conversation, Spencer. Where can people reach you? So the best place to go is just to head over to goextrabold.com. And that's where you can find all the information about me. Like you can find out like how to follow me. You can read my posts and um, whatever else. So head over there and uh, everything is, well, everything is there. And that was Spencer Lum. 
He's a copywriter, business coach, and a photographer. He told me something really interesting after this conversation that I really had to share with you right here. This is about photographers. Did you know that photographers don't like to really explicitly sell their services? <laughs> well, it actually reminded me of myself a few years back. I was shy and didn't know that selling something is perfectly fine provided you did it the right way. But ever since, I've always looked for shortcuts. In fact, I've looked up to people who actually did it the right way. In fact, that's how I connected with Spencer. I had signed up for a free course on his website and after taking that, I really had to invite him on the show. I really highly recommend you check out this free course where Spencer teaches how to make strangers love, share and buy from you even if you aren't sure where to start. You'll find a link to his website in the show notes and you can access the show notes at designyourthinking.com slash S2E. 31. That's season two, episode 31. All right, it's now time for a quick sneak peek at what's coming up next week just for you. For example, I was in, in Indonesia and uh, I came in touch with an organization um, who told me about uh, pollution in the, in the rivers in, in Java, which is the bigger island in Indonesia. And that island, also the rivers in that island were heavily polluted due to uh people throwing di- diapers into the to the river and why they do it i was that i was also really surprised by that because uh, local people over there have the belief that if they um if they uh burn the the diapers or, of babies that it will cause rash on the on the bottoms of the of the babies uh so that's why they they threw other diapers into the river about a million a day which is insane and that's an interview with Wibi Waka he's a Dutchman who chose to travel from Amsterdam to Australia in his blue color electric car to spread awareness about electric vehicles the goal was never to stop at a gas station along the way and he did all of this right out of college with zero money in his pocket why did he really choose to do something so crazy? How did he pull a project so big together and how can you do something like this? We get into all of this and more in an exciting hour-long interview next week and I just don't want you to miss out on that. And to make sure you don't miss out, please hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode right now. No matter what podcast app you use, click subscribe. If you're listening to this episode right now from your computer, you can see a subscribe button right there on the player. Click that and uh, I would love to see you with the next episode right inside your inbox. So if you really like this episode and the show, I really appreciate if you could take a moment to leave a rating and review. You can head over to designyourthinking.com slash review. That's right, designyourthinking.com slash review. And I would be really humbled if you could go there, leave a review, and uh, I would love to thank you personally. So leave your Twitter or Instagram handle right there, and I'd love to do that. The show is also available on Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube. Please type designyourthinking.com slash Spotify slash Google Play slash YouTube, and uh, it, it will take you right there. Appreciate you taking the time today, and I really, really thank you so much because I know you have a lot of podcasts out there to listen 
and you chose to take the last one hour to be with us. Thank you so much. Until I see you with the next episode, take good care of yourself, my friend. Cheers.